Welcome to Health Cetera's podcast. In an article published to the River Newsroom titled, Climate Health is Human Health, writer Lissa Harris explores how New York's Hudson Valley region has experienced the impacts of global climate change. Once an issue that many years ago may have seemed out of reach, worsening climate change is now affecting our lives on a tangible level and is requiring a collective country, state, county, and now local community call to action. In her article, Harris examines New York State's current efforts and future plans to decarbonize the environment and the many ways in which those efforts have a direct impact on human life. On this podcast, registered nurse Diana Mason hosts the River Newsroom correspondent Lissa Harris for a discussion about community health and how climate-changing actions such as the burning of fossil fuels will continue to cost communities and residents their health and well-being. This podcast first aired on Healthcetera in the Catskills on WIOX Radio on December 22, 2021. I'm really pleased to have back with us Lissa Harris from the River Newsroom, who was on pretty regularly during the beginning of COVID. And a lot of people said, where's Lissa? So, Lissa, you're back and on a different topic. Welcome back. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. Somebody somebody wrote to, to the River recently um, and we were well. We're, we're doing a donation drive too for our, our membership yes. program, which is you know, which is bumping along nicely. And somebody wrote in a, a check and uh, put in the in the the, the check line uh, for the the Lissa Harris Stan Club, and I was very touched <laughs> by that. Oh, that's great. That's Stan, great. If, if you know, if we have people who are like not super online, I'm way too online, but that's it's kind of an internet <laughs> thing for if you're like so much of a fan that you're a little bit creepy about it. So you know. <laughs> Thank you for being a fan. <laughs> well, and, and in fact, I, I'm I'm really glad that you're on um, at this time because you, I want to, at the end of the end of the program talk about the River Climate Lab because you are doing fundraising and for people who don't know the River Newsroom, go to the RiverNewsroom dot com right or org. Yeah, dot com. Dot com. We are a dot com. Yes. yes, and and it is local journalism covering the Hudson Valley and Catskill Mountains. I'm a, I'm a member, and uh, they do Thank they you. do investigative journalism, which is different than what we're doing here at WIOX Radio, and it's enormously important. And Lissa Harris, you have been assigned to the climate beat, and you have been doing a fabulous job of covering what's going on with climate change in our area. And so I, I want, listen. I want to start off with, uh, why is the river doing talking about climate change uh, and spending resources there, given that this is a global problem? Well, I mean, it's a global problem and a local problem, and the solutions that we have to deploy to do stuff about it. Some of them are global and some of them are local. Uh, you know, all of them are local in terms of, like, you know, local local people and local governments will have to participate in them for them to be effective. But, you know, some of the payoffs are global, but not all of them. Uh, some of the payoffs of climate action are, are local as well. 
So it's a complicated problem with a lot of interesting dimensions, um, like the COVID-19 pandemic, <laughs> which has also proved to be incredibly complicated yes. in a lot of ways. Um, you know, climate is another problem like that. It touches everything. Uh, and it also, like COVID, is a problem where um, the, the risks of climate change are falling pretty disproportionately on people who are already vulnerable in a lot of ways, you know, whether they don't, if they don't have access to health care, if they have unstable housing, um, you know, losing your house in a flood, which is something that everybody around here can relate to, mm -hmm. is, you know, this is a risk that is increasing in a lot of areas uh, because of climate change. Some of those areas are really obvious, like if you live right on the ocean, but, you know, in our area, uh, risk of floods is getting higher as the weather destabilizes as we have more extreme weather events. So, you know, the risk of climate change is going to fall harder on people that don't have a lot of flexibility in their lives, that are already stressed economically, um, in some cases that, you know, live in places where heat waves are very, very dangerous. That is not as much of an issue up here as it is in the city, but, mm -hmm. you know, people who are older or have medical issues are very vulnerable during heat waves um, and also people who are who have a lot of pollution burden in their communities so uh, you know that's they're, they're kind of uh, shouldering a lot of the, um, the the costs of fossil fuels by living in areas where fossil fuel pollution um, and here now I'm not talking so much about carbon as just you know particulate matter and other stuff that is more of a local problem uh, when we burn fossil fuels, those those communities are, are kind of picking up the tab for, for uh, you know, pe people that live close to power plants and such are picking up the tab for the, for the rest of us in terms of shouldering some of the burdens of fossil fuel use. So you, you wrote a piece recently called Climate Health is Human Health, and um, I, I, I was particularly uh, interested in it from the standpoint of I tend to see climate change as this global issue, and yes, we can all impact it locally, but I, I, I often have the butterfly phenomenon in, in my head that a butterfly, you know, over in, uh, you know, China flaps its wings and it affects us over here. But you're, you in this piece really speak to the local impact of things going on in our environment in a way that we don't always think about, I want you to highlight some points from that piece because I think people, when we think climate change, we think, oh, it's this global thing, it's huge, and, um, yeah, I can do my little part, but, you know, so what? Well, I mean, one of the things that's, that's really tough about climate change is that, you know, we've all heard a lot of messages about how we all have to do our little part, but, um, you know, it's becoming clearer and clearer. This is... This is something we need big policy on. This is something that we need, you know, collective action on. We need plans and we need, uh, you know, we, we need local and larger governments to get involved with trying to fix this problem because you're not going to fix it by recycling. So, mm. uh, and the idea for this story really came out of um, keeping, I've been, I've been keeping up with uh, New York State's plans on trying to solve climate problems. Uh, I, would, I would say New York is, you know, at this point, the, the, the level of, of uh, 
government, whether state or federal in, in the U.S., uh, New York would be one of the most serious attempts to actually fix the problem. And, you know, we're not very far down that road, but, uh, but there is a serious effort afoot in New York State to actually decarbonize the economy. It's in its early stages, and we're going to hear a lot more about that next year um, as the state uh, Climate Action Council gets public input on their plans. So I've been I've been keeping up with this uh, this group, the Climate Action Council, which includes you know most of the major agency heads of the state, as well as scientists and community representatives and industry representatives, and they have been all this past year trying to hammer out a plan for really you know by 2050 getting greenhouse gas emissions in the New York state economy down to almost zero. Wow. And they've been doing a ton of analysis around, you know, what are the impacts of that and what are the, what are the things that need to, to change about, you know, all of our systems in order to make that possible. And one of the pieces of this analysis that they did was that they, they looked at the health benefits of what happens if we basically stop burning things for energy. Uh, what happens to human health. And, and what they found is that there are, uh, there are statewide human health uh, benefits of just not having the products of combustion going into the air. And those, those look a little different in rural, in rural versus urban areas, but you see, you see benefits across the state. And, uh, you know, that had me digging into air quality research, and, and I talked to um, a scientist who just finished up a study. Um, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's in the city. Um, his, he's from Columbia. He's at Sinai now. But, um, but his work uh, was looking at, you know, whether a policy that phased out an older, more dirty and polluting heating oil uh, it led to improved health. In the, in the community, uh, and he found that it did. Um, but in looking in that, at that research, uh, I did a lot of reading on, on air quality, and the, 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 um, it's really kind of amazing to me uh, just how tightly air pollution and human health are linked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is not because of greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. This is because of particulates, which also go along with combustion. But if we address carbon emissions by, you know, stopping burning fossil fuels, we also get these particulates out of the air. And this really tight linear relationship between the level of particulates in the air and, uh, you know, decreased lifespan, um, increased premature mortality mm -hmm. and uh, things like asthma and heart disease, those are so tightly linked to the level of air pollution that any improvements that you make in air quality to get that particulate matter to come down immediately have local health benefits in the community. And that's whether or not we, you know, actually make a dent in climate change. So, Lisa, the, the, the idea of, you know, we, we start off talking about COVID and the parallels to this with COVID. And, and we know I reported in the first half of the segment, only half of our county is vaccinated. Um, 
uh, on this issue of the particulate matter and the burning of fossil fuels, I use um, a company by the name of Botini Fuels for my fuel. And they sent an email, you know, that's sort of like an e-newsletter. And in it, they, they called for customers to oppose. There is a tax that is um, being uh, proposed um, that they're saying would just essentially bankrupt people. <laughs> uh, and, and I was so, and they wanted people not to support it. They wanted people to contact their legislators and, and oppose it. And I was so upset by it. I thought, if we don't change our ways now, uh, it's going to cost a whole lot more, including our, uh, you know, possibly the species even being able to survive, let alone other animals. Um, so I, I'm interested in um, to what extent you think that, I mean, this all makes sense. To what extent are you, do you think there's going to be pushback? And is there pushback that you're seeing already, even on this issue of particulate matter in the air? There, there is absolutely going to be pushback. And on the issue of particulates, you know, this has been, there's been pushback on the idea that particulates cause, you know, poor human health and decreased lifespan. There's been pushback on that for decades. Uh, there was a huge study that came out in the early 90s that, uh, that set off a really, it's called the Six Cities study done by Harvard, and they, they looked at air quality across a long, you know, more than a decade in six different American cities. And they, uh, their conclusions were so, uh, you know, they were so robust that they even, they, they kind of shocked the scientists that were working on the study. They, they didn't expect to find such a tight relationship. Um, you know, we think of a lot of kinds of pollution of there being kind of a lower limit where you can say, okay, this is a safe limit. This is the limit at which I can have a little bit of this thing and it won't hurt me. And it turns out it's just not true of air pollution. You have a little bit and it will harm you a little bit. And if you have more, it will harm you more. And that's, there's, no, there's no lower limit that they've found where it stops having a negative impact on your body. So that, you know, that caused quite a furor. And it, it, it's, you know, that, that's, that, is, has been, that work has been the basis of the EPA ratcheting down acceptable air quality standards under the Clean Air Act several times. And every time it's been bitterly opposed. And, uh, you know, to the issue of, of Botini in their letter, this is a really, this is a tough issue. Yes. It's a tough, tough issue because we, in order to get off fossil fuels, which we essentially need to do pretty quickly in order to make, <laughs> uh, make significant progress against climate change and prevent the, the, the climate and the weather from destabilizing even further and causing even more devastating damage to our communities. If we're going to do that, it is going to cost something. And if we just say to, you know, gas companies and oil companies and utilities, okay, well, we're going to fine you and we're going to make you pay up, mm -hmm. they'll go, okay, and they'll pay up and then they'll pass the cost on right. to consumers. Right. Right? right. So, and then you know that doesn't help anyone because it is it's just gonna you know it's gonna it's gonna leave people who can't afford to swap out their heating system for something that doesn't depend on fossil fuels. If you can't afford to swap your heat system for a heat pump right now, you know, a, an increase in heating oil is going to 
It's mm-hmm. going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So the idea behind collecting a carbon tax from polluters, from you know, from from uh, oil companies and gas companies, and you know, people in the in the the industry, the idea be- behind collecting a tax is that you need to make sure that uh, you know if you if you find companies' money and they just pass on the cost to consumers that you then have some money, you know, if you're New York State or if you're the federal government or whatever, that you have a pot of money that you collected from the polluting industries that you can then use to, you know, give people checks. That is one of the uh, – that's one of the, the pieces of legislation that's on the table. It's not necessarily the one that's going to come through. Um, but, you know, it, they set aside a third of the money – raised from, um, uh, you know, from, from a carbon price, from putting a price on, on carbon pollution um, in, the, in, this, in this bill, uh, they would set aside a third of that money to just literally send money to low- and middle-income New Yorkers. Yes, I thought, I thought that was a really important point in your piece, and um, it, it made me think about... You know, the I'm really eager to see what the Climate Action Council comes up with because it seems to me that there are a way to spur homeowners like myself um, with to to shift their energy source sources with um, support, financial support, but also the technical support. If I were the head of Botini, I would be looking right now at how can I start to get into the alternative energy sources gradually and being able to market it that, well, we've got you on these fuels. We can gradually switch you over, and if there's a problem, we can go back, you know, if th- see you through the transition. I mean, this is a piece, that, this is a piece of the challenge, and, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a, a, a group called the Just Transition Working Group that mm-hmm. is advising the Climate Action Council um, basically sticking up for, for workers uh-huh. and, and saying, you know, okay, as we shift off of fossil fuels, we have to make sure that people who have jobs yes. in the home heating oil industry or the yes. natural gas industry or, you know, various other, um, you know, people who are, are like pumping gas at gas stations, we have to make sure that people have jobs yeah. and that, that good jobs aren't being lost that we have resources to retrain workers, right? So this, there, there is no way to, to carry out, you know, these sort of ambitions without doing that work. And so over the next year, we're going to hear a lot more from this, uh, you know, from state agency heads and the other folks that are involved in the Climate Action Council about, you know, what they, what they would like to see happen. They're going to be traveling all over the state, holding public meetings, gathering public input, and, you know, this plan isn't a piece of legislation. It's sort of a, it's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure um, mm-hmm. saying, you know, we could, uh, you know, we, 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 if we want everybody to adopt heat pumps, then, you know, in order to get buildings off of fossil fuels, like, you know, here's what happens if we manage to make sure that, you know, by this and such date, all of the new sales of furnaces and boilers, et cetera, mm-hmm. are moved to heat pumps, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they do that. But it's up to the legislature to make some sort of a policy to say, here's how we're going to fund it. 
you know, here's how we're going to make sure that people have help in making that conversion. Here's how we're going to make sure that the industries that are right now dependent on fossil fuels can retrain workers, can get involved in new opportunities. And there's going to be a lot of new opportunities. Um, you know, there, there's, there's going to be a ton of jobs that are going to be created um, in, in, the, in the process of, of uh, you know, making sure that, that buildings are, are ready for new forms of, you know, of heat. So, Alyssa, we're, we're almost out of time. So, I've got Sorry, to have, I, get, I got going. This is you, complicated. It's it's great, and uh, and I want to have you back, and maybe let's do this on a regular basis. This is so important, and also your colleagues, because I saw one of your colleagues is starting to follow the Hughes Energy Project, and so um, I, I think I know that's a huge. Oh yeah, cons- we did. A, we had a freelance piece yeah. about the Hughes Energy yes. Project. Yeah, that was very interesting, and I helped edit that piece. Good. So maybe we could talk about that as well. I, I want to, and keep people abreast of what this uh, the Climate Action Council is doing and opportunities. If they're having hearings around the state, how community members can participate in those? Um, is there? Uh, how, how do people find out more about what the plans are to get public input on these things? Well, they should they should uh, they should read our story first off. Yes. Um, and they the Climate Action Council is going to publish their draft scoping plan for public comment on January first. Ah. And let me just get to their. Uh, they have a website. Um, they're also you know when they when they roll out the scoping plan, they're going to have a whole social media campaign mm-hmm. and a new website, and they're going to make an effort to uh, make sure that the public is aware across the state that, you know, that this is something that they want input on. But if you they, – they've been meeting, you know, regularly for the past two years, uh, mostly virtually because of mm-hmm. COVID, um, and their meetings are all on YouTube. Uh, their, their, their materials and their reports are all up on their website. Um, and it's on the it's, – it's, let me give you the address, okay. um, but probably people will want to Google it. Just Google. It is climate.ny.gov slash climate-action-council. But if okay. you look up, if you Google New York State Climate Action Council, you That's will find it. all of their meetings and all of their reports and all of their materials on that on that website, and let me tell you, it has been grueling. The, the, the vote that they took on Monday to to say, okay, you know, we've been working on this action plan for two years. We're ready to show it to people. That meeting was more than four and a half hours long. Wow! Wow! wow. And I, I watched the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> on Zoom. I am very weary of Zoom these days, yes, yes, and I am yes. especially weary of you know hundred slide PowerPoints yes. about you know analysis of the uh, the costs and benefits of climate action yeah. economy-wide in New York yeah. State. It is a lot of yeah. material. It's Good. incredibly dense. Well, and but, look, we didn't even get to your article from today on Build Back Better and the implications for the state. So I want to tell listeners, go to therivernewsroom.com and first sign up to become a member. 
support this investigative journalism, this outlet that's so important in our region. You can also make your donation to WIOX Radio at WIOXradio.org, but support local journalism here. It's really important. And support listen. Support local media. Yeah. Yes. And, and but also, you know, I just want to note, it is free to read. You can read it yes. whether you remember or not. Yes. So if you don't let that deter Good you point. from reading, but Good we would point. love your support. And Lissa's piece today addresses how Build Back Better is related to what we're doing on climate change in New York. So I want to encourage it, you to read it. It's going to make it tougher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lissa, so you'll come back on. We'll talk about having you back on on a regular basis and updating people. And Lissa Harris, uh, reporter from the River Newsroom, thank you so much for coming on to Health Cetera today. I really appreciate it. Thank nice you. To have you back. Thank you so much. All right. All bye-bye. Right. You've been listening to a podcast of Health Cetera in the Catskills. For more podcasts and discussions of important health issues and policies affecting health, go to Health Cetera's website and blog at www.healthmediapolicy.com. That's www.healthmediapolicy.com. This podcast was produced by Dr. Diana Mason and production assistant Kai Volsey.